Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are coming to the end of the book of Deuteronomy. We're coming to the end of Moshe's address to the people. Uh, and we are at this poem. So you remember we talked about biblical poetry. And what did we say was one characteristic of how biblical poetry is beautiful and clever? What's the idea? You're not trying to rhyme. What are you trying to do? You're trying to say the same thing twice. How can we find words to say the same idea in two different ways? That's the, that's the idea of biblical poetry. So you'll get couplets of, it's probably not the technically correct word, but you get, you get um, a pairing, right, of give ear, O heavens, let me speak. May my discourse come down as the rain, right? So you, you get the same statement made two ways, and this is what um, is a prime characteristic of biblical poetry. We are at the end of Moshe. We're coming to the end of Moshe's life. Once Moshe's done speaking, Moshe's done. So this is, you know, as we said last week, this is Moshe's final opportunity to speak to the people and have something about what he says get through. Um, and, and God seems to understand that as well, that these people, because we, we hear it in this poem, that as hard as this people's been in Moshe's lifetime, that God's essentially saying, imagine what's going to happen after you're gone. Like, you've had a hard time with them while you're here. Imagine once you're gone what's going to be with this people. And that's, a, that's part of uh, this year, that's part of the song that we're going to see. Um, and so let's look at 32.1. Give ear, O heavens, let me speak. Let the earth hear the words I utter. May my discourse come down as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like showers on young growth, like droplets on the grass. For the name of the Lord I proclaim, give glory to Yudhevavhe. The rock, his deeds are perfect, yea, all his ways are just. A faithful God, never false, true and upright is he. Children unworthy of him, that crooked, perverse generation, their baseness has played him false. Do you thus requite Yudhevavhe? O dull and witless people, is he not is not he the father who created you, who fashioned you, and made you endure? Keep on going. Yeah. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of ages past. Ask your father. He will inform you. Your elders, they will tell you. When the Most High gave nations their homes and set the divisions of man, he fixed the boundaries of people in relation to Israel's numbers. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his own allotment. Okay. Let's go back to verse 1. Green Book, 1253. Women's Torah Commentary, 1253. So our poem opens with So that heaven, right, should listen, and as I speak, and the earth should hear the words of my mouth. So this is a common thing that we see with heaven and earth being called essentially as witnesses. Heaven and earth are being called to witness this lesson and the discourse um, about God and about Israel and about their relationship. Uh, and we see this a lot of times when Israel's being censured, right? When Israel's being held to account or criticized, we often get this idea of heaven and earth coming to be witnesses uh, essentially, so we're getting a prosecution. Um, so here we have Moshe presumably um, saying goodbye. And we have a very uh, long tradition of what we call Tziduk Hadin, which we're going to look at in terms of defending God, right? Theodicy. So this is a poem that's used to defend God. 
Um, but let's go first to these images that we see here, which our commentators do not ignore in terms of when we read Parshat Ha'azinu. So the commentators who look at the language here and look at the messaging here and look at how Deuteronomy chooses to express itself does not do that outside of the context of reading Ha'azinu at Sukkot, between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, or right between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So if we read it with that mindset, then we're talking here about imagery once we talk about speaking and letting heaven and earth hear. Ya'aruf kamatar likri. So what is this ya'aruf? This ya'aruf like coming down. And what's matar? Do. Right. So who has a different translation than do? Mist. Hmm? Mist. Mist? You have mist? Okay. Because then we get tizal katal imrati. May my speech distill as do. Right? We say tal umatar. Do and what's the other word? So moisture. That's why I came to love this. Well, this says may it come down as rain. The you get it from both ends. What we're actually getting here is imagery of, of moisture that has the potential to sink in to dry ground. So all summer, right, if you think of Israel, think of Israel in the summer, right? Got the image? Right. Israel in the summer, and so it's been hot, it's been dry, the ground is cracked and, and crusty, Right? Kind of like us, right? We're dry and cracked and crusty and hard. And we've come through Elul. We've come through this whole month of, of tshuva, of this idea of repentance, of saying Psalm 27, only one thing do I ask, and that's to sit in the house of God, right? We say this every day trying to convince ourselves <laughs> that this is what we want, to sit in the house of God, right? Always. Um, and so we've come through this whole process of Elul. We've come through, in our case this year, Rosh Hashanah. We've come through the 10 days of awe. We've come through uh, Yom Kippur. We've come through that whole process. And now here we are hoping some of that actually penetrates. Hard rain does not penetrate cracked, dry ground. What happens with hard rain? It runs off. And what does it do when it runs off? Floods. It, it floods. So it kills animals and people. It destroys. It wipes out stuff in front of it. Uh, and you know, flash flooding in, in Israel is a very, very serious business. You hear about rain when you're in certain parts of Israel driving. You get off the road because you will be swept away. Um, so it destroys everything in its path. And it takes with it topsoil. Right when, when that happens and all that gets washed away, so does the really nutritious, wonderful soil that actually allows for growth, new growth, life. All right, so our wonderful commentators don't ignore this, right? That we get matar and tal here. We don't get heavy rain. We get... Right, that Moshe's words should come to us right now, at this time of year, right at this moment, these words should come to us as tal and matar. Moisture that's gentle enough, right, and pervasive enough to sink in. All right, so, so should it be, huh? And, and it comes from the heavens. It sits on you for a while, it sits until you absorb. Do sits on you for a while. Yeah, you know, it does. It sits and then you absorb it. Hopefully, right? So, and every, like, one of, uh, whenever, when I was uh, studying in Israel, you know, and they, the guides there all are so amazing, as you know. You know, they all have to be licensed by the state, and you have to have a licensed guide to go with you and stuff. Um, and we're going to have one, of course, a fabulous guide, Renee Gutman, who's coming with us in February on our trip. She's amazing. Um, and, but one of the things that they are so interested intimately familiar with all of the guides in Israel is every species of plant and animal life. 
and we took a hike um, when I was there, and our guide showed us how every single plant we passed on our desert hike copes with the lack of moisture. Like every single plant has its own, I mean here too, right? but I don't walk around with a botanist here to tell me these things. Only in Israel do I know these things. Um, that you know, each plant has a way of capturing the dew, right? To, to make the most of the dew, whether it's because their roots go seriously deep to another water source or their leaves are really flat and open you know, so that they, it can catch as much moisture as possible. But every single plant has a way to deal with tal and matar. Because that's their only hope. If they depended on rain alone, they wouldn't survive. They have to be able to catch tal and matar, right, to really make it. So we all have our, we can imagine, what are our ways of catching, right, catching tal? I was just going to say that I'm reading this wonderful book called Let There Be Water, and it's the history of Israel and how they dealt with water. I mean, anyone who's going on this trip or not, it's an amazing book. I would encourage you to read. Oh, great. What's it called? Let There Be Water. Let There Be Water. Okay. Tal and Matar. These kinds of water that can permeate the dry, cracked, hard ground. Because even all the work we've done, Elo, all the work we've done, Aserach Yemei the 10 Days of Repentance, all of that work we did on Yom Kippur, we're not done. Right? We're, we want to. We want to be there. We want cracks, you know, where stuff can get in. We really, we want it, and yet we're not there exactly yet, um, says uh, the commentator Mike Fuhr on Pardes, his podcast that I listened to, um, which this is where I got a lot of these teachings from our tradition, uh, that, that matar and tal, like we, we need a ge- very gentle kind of words of Torah that have actually the possibility of getting in because we're just so parched, right? That flash flooding is what's going to happen if we are right overwhelmed. All right. And I repeated that because I think I had my microphone turned off for a good chunk of that. All right. Let's, let's go to the next words because here we're going to get more of this imagery, right? And, um, and as Mary just pointed out, like, rain in Israel, moisture in Israel is, is a key issue, right? There's no life without water and things have to fall the right way and in the right time. The rain has to fall in the right season. We don't just pray for rain in Israel at Sukkot, which we're going to do. We're going to pray for rain in Israel on Sukkot. But we don't just pray for rain. We pray for rain in its season. Because out of season, what happens is what we just talked about, right? Flash flooding, it carries all the topsoil with it, it carries all the nutrition with it, and it destroys everything uh, in its path. So what are, what are we going to come, what are we going to have these words compared to? These words of Moshe, these words of Torah? Kesi'irim alei deshe, bechirvivim alei esev. Like se'irim, what's se'irim? What is your translation for se'irim? Like... Showers. Showers. Ale on the on grass. Or kirvivim ale esev. Right? And what do you have for rivivim? Droplets. Droplets. Okay. On the grass. Okay. So si'irim. What are these si'irim? Showers. Can I ask a question? Of course. Why showers on young girl and droplets on grass? There's a So that is a very good question. And Rashi asks the same question. What what is this? You know, Sa'irim on this young grass. What is what does that mean? And so he, as as the, our commentators are often want to do, um, Rashi uh, makes a play on words, and he takes that sin, because we have Sa'irim. Right, we have se-i-rim, yes, and so sin, se, and is that a se, sin? Yeah, okay, I get confused. Um, uh, and compares it to se-i-rim with uh, samech, which this is, we get translated as showers, and this actually is, interestingly, Storm winds. 
So Rashi, instead of Seirim, says Seirim. I mean, I'm not going to write, you can't write it differently in transliteration because it's the same. Seirim, don't read. Rashi says Seirim, read rather Seirim with a Samech, which is storm winds on young grass. Because some kinds of young plants have to have wind in order to buffer them around so that they then develop the strength to stand. That some species, if you put it in a greenhouse, they grow and droop over and die because they haven't had any push against them to, to develop the ability to stay strong. It's a call for suffering in childhood. <laughs> a call for suffering in childhood. Not exactly where I was going, but um, yeah, right. but definitely, right? Our commentators say that it's because we need challenges. We have to be pushed. So that Torah, yes, should be like Tal and Matar. These words should be like Tal and Matar, gentle and, and, and resting on us long enough that it gets through the dry, cracked, baked, hard outside, crustiness. Um, but we also have to be challenged. That words of Torah, real learning, real growth only comes when we're pushed and challenged, right? Uh, and so this is right relating to my um, Yom Kippur sermon, right? This, there, there's some growth that doesn't happen unless and until there's a real push that's, that one has to stand against, I remember something from my grandmother. She was, you know, she loved flowers and she loved planting flowers. And she said, uh, when you plant a new flower, you know, a new kind, you need lots of water, which she described as uh, water for the soul. She said, give a lot of water first and then let it rest for a while. Don't give much water. So, I don't know, maybe it's an ancient teaching. Right, that you. I mean, similar. When it's just trying to take everything in, you you give and then you let it. You let it. Right, it's the neighborhood. Right, Turkey's definitely the neighborhood. Sheldon. Second, the huge difference between rain and dew. Rain comes down. Dew doesn't come down. It just comes out of the atmosphere when the temperature gets right. So it's two different. Sources of water. Two different delivery mechanisms, mm-hmm. right? And so plants have a way to deal with both of those, right? So it's two ways to deliver that water because we need different mechanisms for different learners. And dew is every day. Dew is well, it, when the conditions are right, right? Then you're right. We get um, we get dew, and then we get if we're going to read this as showers, right? You know, it's a different kind. Like you said, of delivery of water, and that we need we need different ways for that moisture for for these devarim to be given to us because different species need different right ways to have it most efficacious for them to allow that or to capture right that moisture. Yes. The, the this interesting taking the metaphor a little bit farther to the idea of God being both transcendent and imminent, that in one sense God is kind of up in heaven and very, very far away, and in another sense God is everywhere, like like the dew. God falls on everything, coming up and down and all around, and in another sense it's like rain coming from the sky. Rain feeds the roots and dew See, there we go. <laughs> and Rashi says, you know, importing to um, things that we read at this season, Torah Chaim Le'olam, that, that Torah is Chaim, Torah is life. And Rashi says, but what the imagery that we're getting here is not actual life, right? Matar, Tal, Si'irim, Rivivim, this is not life. What's life is the Deshe is the esev, is the grass, right? And the sprouts. I mean, you could call these shoots, ale desha, right? You know, the, the new shoots. Like, that's the life. We're the life. What, what this is, is the potential for life, right? This is what feeds life, 
right? So, so Torah, in this sense, the words of Torah, it's not literally life, but it's what gives support to that which is alive. All right. Kishem Adonai Ekra, for the name Yud Hey Vav Hey, right? Well, I proclaim, Havu Godel Leloheinu. Give glory. Give, acknowledge how Godel is Eloheinu. Right? What's Gadol? Big. Big. Hmm? Big. Big. You said something else. I said large. Large. <laughs> huge. Right? Huge. How huge is Yudevave? Right? So give it up. Give up the bigness for God. What strikes me, um, since I understand the Hebrew, the Hebrew is so much more personal and not as lofty. And, you know, the English is not the way we speak, whereas the Hebrew is a little more familiar sounding. That's my take on this. And it's very hard, I guess, to capture that in English. But nobody speaks like, well, poetry speaks like this, but the Hebrew is a little more personal from my point of view. Well, I think what you're pointing to, Rita, and I don't know, you'll tell me if I'm right or wrong, but... Because we do this kind of Hebrew a lot, those of us who come here, right? We pray this Hebrew a lot. We've seen this Hebrew. Havu godel leloheinu. That's right. That sounds like it could be right off the page of the prayer book. Michamocha, you know, ba'ilim Adonai. This is, we are so used to these words being words that we personally pray or pray as a community and say, right? We do say these words. So it's not everyday spoken Hebrew, it's prayer Hebrew. Correct. This is prayer Hebrew. This is very elegant uh, Hebrew. And Hebrew doesn't have nearly as many words. Biblical Hebrew doesn't have nearly as many words as English does. So, So in English, you already have so many more choices for everything you put forward in terms of, do I want it to sound lofty? Right? Droplets. It, do you know what I mean? In Hebrew, it's drops. You are, there's, there's just not as many choices. So I think the Hebrew is just more familiar to us because there's less words than in English, right? English, like as, as, as I've said a lot, is, an, is a language for me of breadth. Like, can you find exactly the right shade of blue that you're talking about, right? That's what, that's what makes English elegant and you have a command of it when you can do that. Hebrew is a language of depth, it's what you're stacking on top of other stuff that makes this new word or this new concept elegant, mm-hmm. right? That you can't understand shalom without understanding that it comes from shalem, whole. We've had that conversation, right? Yeah, but that's a whole other thing to say, wait, shalom is not just a word by itself. It's, it's built on the root shalem, whole. That changes your whole relationship to the word shalom, right? So... So that, that's Hebrew, right? That's what makes Hebrew sophisticated and elegant when you find that word that has resonances all the way down. Um, so I think that's the other thing, is that we read the English and go, yeah, we don't, we don't use this English because this is nuanced, beautiful, poetic um, uh, English. And I think the Hebrew is familiar to us because we see this a lot and we... Um, we pray this a lot, and Hebrew's a little bit more straightforward, I think, Rita's what one of the things I, I hear in what you're saying that, that is true for me, they say, you know, studying Torah in English is like kissing someone through a veil. <laughs> um, it's a kiss. It's intimate. It's not exactly the same as kissing without a veil, right? Um, it's more immediate. The Hebrew feels a little bit more direct, a little more immediate like to me than the, than the English. Yeah. I think that's the reputation Israelis have. They don't read around the bush. Israelis are direct? Is that what you're implying? There's a, a, in, in the next line, the English <laughs> translation is, for the name of yud heh vav I proclaim, and name in English is not really, because he's not giving the name. The name is just spoken. yud heh vav is not the name. It's a reference Right. But th- this is this is God's name, right, for us. But we don't pronounce in Torah, right? Kishem Adonai Akra, right? But so you're saying he's not going to actually sense, say it? Doesn't it have a sense of, of essence more than name? 
uh, yes and no, right? That that is n- there's no difference. Essence and name well, are not different in Hebrew. To us in English, name is a label. Correct. That and then he, see, that's in another Hebrew, point. In Hebrew, right. that there's no difference. Shame is your name is your essence, mm-hmm. which is why ya- Yaakov says, "Tell me your name." Mm-hmm. Or does the angel say, tell me your name? One of them says, tell me your name. <laughs> and, um, and Moshe asks it of God, right? But when in the wrestling match, tell me your name. Why? Because I can't utter a blessing for you until I know your essence. But when we see name, clearly, I, I mean, I always think label. That's right. why I'm not a big fan of that translation. Right. All right. Although it's not wrong, you just have to know what name means, right, in Hebrew. Hatsur tamim po'alo. So here we go. Hatsur, the rock. Tamim po'alo. So tam often means pure, perfect. Po'alo. God's doings. Kichol drachav mishpat. For all God's ways are just. El emunah. A God that is faithful. Ve'en avel. And never false. Tzadik v'yasharhu. Sadiq, righteous, Vayashar, and straight is God. Okay. Why faithful? Why is God? That God is never. It, is it ever not faithful? Mm-hmm. Or does anyone say it's not faithful? So, uh, faithful doesn't mean that God has faith, mm-hmm. it's that God is true okay. to oh. that sense of faithful. Oh. doesn't betray. Uh, it's not that God has faith mm-hmm. and could lose faith. But, so it doesn't betray. Correct. He's faithful to the so, so do the Israelites think he or it is sometimes not faithful? Ah, so now what you're asking, now I think I hear your question, which is wh- why would they write God is El Emunah? There must be sometimes somebody among the Israelites who might say, in my experience, God is not so emunah, thank you very much. And what might those times be, Mehmet? Such as, when might someone say, God isn't faithful? Well, I mean, when they were wandering in the desert and they didn't have any food. Or, you know, like but God provided them for food. That's a terrible example. God was most emunah then. God fed them. When bad things happen. When bad things happen. Particularly to good people. <laughs> when bad things happen to good people, when somebody who doesn't seem to deserve it has something horrible happen, it can seem that God is not El Emunah and is not Sadiq and is not Yashar and is Avel, thank you very much. These words are absolutely written by people who think God is not El Emunah. And that's why we have them. Right? This is theodicy. This is the defense of God. Because what's going to happen, what's going to happen to these people? What is this poem going to tell us is going to happen? <laughs> Thank you for that technical response, Bert. Bad stuff is going to happen. So if bad stuff is going to happen and God is El Emunah, what, then why did the bad stuff happen? Why? We know the answer. If God is El Emunah and bad stuff happens, what's the only answer? What's the only possibility? Uh, We deserved it. We're responsible. Right? That is the classic theodicy. The classic defense of God is God is tziduk. God is just and righteous. This people is read traditionally at a funeral. This is the liturgy. Traditionally, at a funeral. I don't read this at funerals. So it's, it's a very complicated relationship that we have with this idea of something that is so powerful that it can impact our lives in really terrifying ways. How do we have a relationship with that when some of the things that you know happen are really... Horrible things. Children get cancer. Children get cancer. How, how, how do we make sense of that? So when someone dies, people, I don't know, reconstructionists say you say Baruch Dayan and Mess, which is 
Yes, Baruch Dayan Haemet. That's what we say when we tear the Kriya ribbon um, at the graveside. Baruch Dayan Haemet. Blessed is the true judge. Right. So some of the hardest words in our tradition to say, and I really resisted saying it, and I put in an alternative, because there is, uh, there's an alternative. V'chaye olam natabitochenu, like the, the roots of, of everlasting life you have planted within us, which is what I used to say. And then my father died, tragically, um, like 17 years ago. He was diagnosed with um, a tumor on his spine and was dead six months later. Um, I was young. I had no idea what was going on. He was single. I was his carrier. I mean, it was, it was a, a, a mess. And I was a basket case um, when he died. And I said, Baruch Dayan Ha'emet. Because for the first time I understood, for me, I'm not saying for anybody else, for me, those words were about there are some things that are just part of what it means to be part of something bigger. And that the judgment is that we're frail and we're fragile and we get sick and we die because we're human and that's the way it is. And it was a comfort to me on some odd level that it was out of my hands. I think there was a part of me that blamed myself had I gotten there sooner, had I gotten him to a better doctor, had I moved him to a different nursing home, you know, like, had I intervened differently because it was all on me because there was no wife. Like, had I done some of that, he might have lived. And so there was some odd sense of comfort that there are some things that are just out of our hands and that it's easier to think had I done something it would have been different because we'd rather feel guilty than feel out of control yeah. which you know it, took a, it was a lot of therapy I paid for to get to that place <laughs> of understanding that but we'd we'd rather beat ourselves up because that means it was actually it, it, I could have done something about it and that's more comforting to us than so I could get another phone call about somebody else I love. Mm-hmm. And it can all be out of my... Right? So, so for me, I felt like it was healing for me to be able to acknowledge there's just a bigger reality, emet, right? There, you know, there's a bigger truth, baruch dayan ha-emet. Um, there's just a bigger emes. There's a biggest, bigger truth that I'm a very tiny part of. And so, and that's what I say to people when we go to tear the Kriya ribbon, is that we acknowledge that there's just a larger, and if we had our way, nobody would die. And if we had our way, nothing terrible would happen. That is not the, that's not what we've signed up for. That's not the reality that we live in. And so, Baruch Dayan Haimed is a way of kind of saying, there it is, like that's... It's what but we've been signed up for. But that is very right. <laughs> Not that we signed right. up for. <laughs> right. Yeah, what we got signed up for. Right. Um, and that is a very reconstruction. Right. I have reconstructed that really a lot to get there. Um, but a lot of people, if they just hear those words, of course, go, wait, what? You want me to say what? Right now? Um, and that's, that's for me what happens when, when this liturgy is said at the at the graveside. I just, I can't. Like, I just can't go on and on and on about how God is just and God is the rock and God is righteous and God is whatever as we're standing. Uh, you know, we, I just, I just can't. All right, so, um, so. Let's get to the end grateful <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Crooked reverse, says. Oh, dull and witless people, is that where we're going? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. All right. So, yeah. So here we're going to get children that are completely unworthy, right? The crooked and perverse generation, their baseness has played God false. Do you thus requite God, O dull and witless people? Don't you think rabbis should try this so I can see what happens one year? Oh, dull and witless people, right? You'll see who's awake. Yeah, <laughs> right. See who's paying attention. Right. Right, right, right. Talk about being direct. That's what we we always joke that you know the prophets. We call this Tanakh, Torah, the prophets and the writing. So the Nevi'im, we say we're the only religion that canonizes our critics. (laughs) Who else canonizes people that go, you dull and witless idiots? You're messing the whole thing up. What are you thinking? You've totally screwed it up. That's what all the prophets are saying. And we venerate the words of the prophet who say you all are completely focused on all the wrong stuff. You have taken Torah and completely twisted it around to be your own 
right? Craziness, right? And, and brings us back to what they believe we should be focused on, as did Isaiah at Yom Kippur. Is this the fast I want? Right? The prophet Isaiah says, I don't give a crap about your fasting. Right? That's what God is saying. I, I don't care about your fasting. What I care about is, are you, you know, loosening the fetters? The fetters? Of the, yeah. of, thank you, of the captive, right? Are you feeding the hungry? Are you clothing the naked? Are you taking care of the, orf- of the widow and the orphan, the people who are vulnerable in your society? That's what I, ca- I don't care about your fast. I care about what you're doing. Right? So, and, and that's what we read as we're fasting. It's like it's Jews. It's so Jewish. Right. Who wrote this portion? Is it saying people that wrote this portion as the previous part of Deuteronomy? Yeah, this is all attributed to D, so to the Deuteronomist. Um, this is in a different time. Deutero Isaiah. So I'm not sure. I, I didn't actually look this time um, at how old this is. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this is older, you know, as a piece that was put in here that had already existed for a long time. I'm not sure. What chapter are we in? 31? 32. What? 32. I'm just going to see if they mention it in my... The poem Ha'azinum. It's a psalm. It's a biblical psalm. I'm just looking to see if they tell me when. The, they, based on Near Eastern treaties and biblical covenants, scholars have proposed that the poem belongs to a genre that they called the covenant lawsuit. <laughs> this genre is supposedly based on the literary form that a suzerain would use in appealing to the gods to condemn a vassal for violating the terms of a treaty they had witnessed. We've seen this before. right? The conquering king has all rights to the other king's loyalty, right? And that if they break that, then there's a covenant lawsuit. This poem is in that vein, that Israel has broken their suzerain treaty, right? <laughs> um, is that not clear? So um, the conquering king, right, ha- you, you, ha- you have to swear loyalty to the conquering king, so that's Israel's arrangement with God, right? That, that's how we see the relationship with God and Israel. I, for I took you out of Egypt, right? That, that's clear ancient Near Eastern language for I, I, here's why I have a right to call you into covenantal relationship with me exclusively because I did this, 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 and this for you. So um, this is saying you then broke that deal. And so now we're bringing a lawsuit. And that's why we need witnesses. Yes, this is testimony, essentially. This is testimony against Israel. So this is the beginning of contract law. Yes, contract law predates this, right? This is based on already established contract law in the ancient Near East. Um, It actually predates early Israel. Uh, We see it in Sumer, and we see it in a lot of Akkadian texts that it's already uh, in the neighborhood. Um, The... Think of the um, steel. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) That what am I thinking? The in the the the, yes, the code of Hammurabi. Thank you. Right. So that's we we already know that that's already in place before this. Right. So but so God is righteous. God is true. And it is, right, the people who have messed up. Verse 10, more claims that make God's case in this covenant lawsuit. What did God do? God found Israel in a desert region, in an empty howling waste, right? And God, oh my gosh, yeah, there's your tortured English, Rita. And girded him. Yesova venhu. What so Rita, tell me Yesova venhu rather than and girded. Well, it's surrounded us really, not girded exactly. Right. Right? So yes. Yesova so God 
surrounded us, right? And watched over us, guarded. And when you've heard this, I'm sure quoted a lot, yes? Guarded us as the pupil of God's eye, like an eagle who rouses its nestlings, gliding down to its young, so did God spread God's wings to take, and of course it's Yeshua and it's Yisrael here, when it says him, bear him along on God's pinions. God alone did guide him, no alien God at his side. All right, beautiful imagery here. Yeah? So what is this people of the eye stuff? Guarded, guarded him as God would guard the pupil of God's eye. The center. Right, but what is the image of, of this guarding? I come at you fast, what do you do? You cover your eyes. You close your eyes. It's instinctive. We don't think about it. We don't move to do it. Somebody comes at you, you close your eyes. It's, it's, it's an instinct, and it happens like that, right? Because the eye is so tender and so easily damaged that we have this instinct to close it. So that's how precious we are to the divine, that the divine would have an instinct, right, immediately to protect the people, right, to protect us. We are that part, we are that much a sensitive important, critical part of the divine. Vulnerable. Hmm? Right. And and interesting, vulnerable because of what we do. (laughs) Right. right. And vulnerable to what happens to us, obviously, but um, vulnerable to temptation and going astray, going off the path. And so what do we get about this nesher? Hmm. Yeah. How does an eagle train its young to fly? Do you know this? How did they fledge? They push mountains. <laughs> okay. Partly true. They they take them on their wings, and then the big bird, the parent bird, drops, and then they learn, or they fall. Onto the parents' wings. So they are totally protected. They are completely protected as they learn to fly. So that's how the parent bird, right, is both dropping away, letting them do it on their own, but staying close enough that if they fall, they fall onto the parents' wings. Safety net. The safety net, right? So that this is. I mean, this is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful image of God taking the people Israel through the desert, right? Is that you're going to have to learn. You were slaves. You're going to have to fledge. You're going to have to fly. And I can't do it for you. So I'm going to drop out of the way. And what happens? A golden calf. (laughs) I'm going to drop out of the way. And what happens? Y'all start complaining that you don't have water or you don't have meat or you don't have the leeks and onions that you had in Egypt. You'd rather be a slave. slave. Really? Right? So this keeps happening until finally, right? We know the end of that story. (laughs) Um, But if we use it now and we, we if we go back to the rabbi's readings that this is for us now, these words, Ha'azinu, is put here for us at the high holidays on purpose, then this is, these are words of deep and abiding hope. It's scary to fly, God's saying. It's scary to do tshuva. It's scary to change. It's scary to face, right? As we talked about at Yom Kippur, it's, it's scary to face all that stuff. Okay, so I'm just going to drop a little bit while you flap. <laughs> to try it out. Just try it out. Try biting back the comment. Try not turning to someone to say that piece of gossip. Just, just try it. Just flap a little. <laughs> I'll be here. Right? It's okay. These are deeply comforting words as we try really hard coming out of Yom Kippur to do it. 
to really believe it's possible to fly. Because what little bird hanging out in the nest really thinks <laughs> they can fly? Really? Until you do, until you fly, you don't know you can fly. All right. All right, let's go on. So we know what's going to happen, right? 15. Yeshurun, what happened? That's us. Grew fat and kicked. Grew fat and kicked. Grew fat and gross and coarse. Ooh, right? It gets worse. Yeah. So, and now, right, Israel's being addressed directly, right? You know, that it's Israel who's doing this. Um, and we get all these lovely words uh, about what they did to who? To whom? To the rock of their support. Right? So they've turned on that which has supported them. They incensed God with alien things, vexed God with what? Yeah, abominations. Absolutely. They sacrificed to demons, to no gods, gods they had never known. Remember, this is the really important part. You're sacrificing to gods you don't know. The gods who have done nothing for you. I did everything for you. Took you out of Egypt. Carried you on my wings. Protected you like the people of my eye. I did everything. You're sacrificing to them? It's deep betrayal. Deep, deep betrayal. Sounds like my mother. <laughs> Sounds like your mother. So that is not an accident. <laughs> it's so human. The, I did it. The poet is very much evoking God's absolutely justified rage, which is always a cover for pain. But, but if you if you put yourself in their place uh, and things turn bad for inexplicable reasons. You have a couple choices. You one choice is to say, um, you know, I, I don't know enough. Uh, I accept God is, <coughs> if not in control, um, I don't know enough to be able to appreciate it. Or you say, God is omnipotent. This happened. Obviously, God has lost. Uh, favor with me, or whatever. I've lost uh, favor with God. I've lost favor with God. Let me go shop around <laughs> for for a God who will uh, allow me to control my, uh, my life. Yeah, and so God has a problem with that. <laughs> you don't get to shop around, Israelite. No, but but it's it's part of the human condition. But you don't get to, is what the poet's saying. But what you've got to accept is that as bad as things happen, that either there is a reason or being human will never see the reason. Well, right. So, but the poet is very clear. Like, we're getting a very clear statement here. Here we go. You neglected 18, the tzur, the rock that begot you. You forgot the God who brought you forth. God saw and was angry and spurned God's banav, uvnotav, sons and daughters, and said what? Astira fanaimehem. What does that mean? Astira fanaimehem. I will hide my face from them. This is the classic response when questions of something terrible happens. What am I supposed to do with that? The rabbis turn to this and say it is a case of hester panim. A hiding of the face. What does that mean? Ah, what does it mean? Ah, what does it mean? <laughs> it means it can come back. It can get unhidden. Yeah. Among other things. If I am um, Face to face with God, 
What do we say in the priestly benediction? May God lift up God's face towards you. Because that is a sign of favor. If God hides God's face, all kinds of terrible things are going to happen. God's turning God's back. Exactly right. So whenever people want to talk about the Holocaust and you want to talk to somebody who has an omnipotent and omniscient and um, what's when God's all good? Omnipotent, omniscient, and all good. I can't perfect. think of the word. And perfect. Um, then they, the classic answer, this is the answer I was given at the Hebrew Academy in Yeshiva. Hester Panim. God has turned God's face. Also, in the scare, there's the word secret. So there's secret Interesting. plans to all of this. Okay, now, now you're getting a little esoteric on us, Rita. Right, so you're suggesting seter, secret, right? That it's, it's we don't know what's happening with that. But generally, hester panim, yes, there's a mystery to it on some level. It, but it's often this kind of theodicy, which is we have deserved it. We have caused the hester panim, the hiding of God's face. Uh, but some folks are ready to go to that next level and say, I must not understand. There's a mystery here of hester panim that I don't comprehend because they still want to be into relationship with an omnipotent, omniscient, and all good God. You know, when I um, think about this, I think about something else I'd like to read about uh, is um, uh, quantum mechanics and um, uh, the whole idea of we're all made out of space. You know, the, the, Energy. You, you, you can't tell what is happening at any one point. And it's so counterintuitive. Did you say? Yeah, because we're like, no, this is solid. It's not. <laughs> right? be frozen energy, <laughs> right? That, that's solid. Exactly. And so I, I try to comfort myself in when terrible things happen, which happen, uh, is to say, What I'm, I'm not, I don't have the wherewithal to be able to explain what caused this, rather than to say there was no cause. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it, it, it was just um, uh, happenstance. Uh, better to say, you know, we're all given incomplete understanding, and I think that that's. Well, I mean, first of all, that's true, right? I mean, I think that's true. We don't under, you know, we can't understand. Like, I can't even begin to understand quantum mechanics, right? Like, my head hurts just like getting through the first three sentences of, uh, you know, a paragraph about it. But um, so we we don't, we can't understand for sure. Um, and I think every one of us who has any kind of faith relationship with the universe has to come to some kind of mantra that allows us to hold what you've lived through. You've lived through the worst that anyone can live through. The death of a child is... Mm-hmm. Right, what do you even begin to say to that? So um, I think each of us, if we want to stay in any kind of relationship with some kind of idea of divinity, we have to find some you know, thing that we hold on to that helps us face the worst that can happen while maintaining a relationship with what we believe is a loving, generous, right, forgiving universe with some kind of force, capital F, you know, that, that works through it and through us in a way that keeps us moving forward with hope. And I think that's, it's a critical thing for each one of us to find what that is. The alternative is really scary. That it makes no sense. Yeah. That there's no coming back. I think that's that, right, kind of what you were that, saying. Right. Is that is that the alternative? Is like, it's all random, right. all of it, and, and it's all a crapshoot? Like that's terrifying in its own. And neither is way. provable, by the way. It, right. Neither is provable. Is provable. We just right. We've got to decide which we want to believe. That's what faith is. That's where faith comes in. Is what, Mary? I said that's where faith comes in. Right, but you don't know, or you can't prove it, or you can't touch it. It's it's 
you don't. You're, or you don't. And then you're loose in the universe like you do without faith. So I, all I will say to, because sometimes I have a problem with this word faith, right? I really have a problem with it sometimes. Sometimes I don't. It's just like Moses. Sometimes I'm fed up with Moses, and sometimes, like, you know, I feel bad for him. This year I feel bad for him. But, um, but the word faith sometimes, because what I feel like is it means we have to jump over any kind of evidence to get, right? If we use the language of faith, then I, I, I'm saying by definition I have to leap over Evidence, skip evidence, and go right to something called faith. That means I believe in the absence of evidence to the contrary. And sometimes, not always, sometimes for me, it's like, but that's not why I'm a person of faith. I'm a person of faith because I have plenty of evidence that no matter how crappy it gets, how awful it is, other people show up. God is in those people who show up. And the people who are ready to hold us up when we're like, forget it. I can't do it. Not another step. I'm done. But bench me. I'm out. It's the people who say, yes, you can. And you don't have to know that right now. You just flap. And we're going to be here underneath you. Like that, that, for me, is evidence that the universe is a place filled with love and, and the divine. And I see it all the time. I see it at the deathbed. I see so I don't know. So sometimes I just get like a little... I don't love the language that says faith is about trusting anyway. Let you like with no, I don't know. Anyway, I won't say any more about it. But um, all right. So uh, this this poem that we're gonna get um, right, we're gonna get terrible things happening. Um, but in the end, if we return, right, we have the opportunity to. Have God lift God's face towards us. This is a warning to the people. So look at 44. Moshe comes together with Hosea, son of Nun. Joshua, yes. And recites all the words of this poem in the hearing of the people. And then we get, um, we get the very sad business of... Moshe understanding, right, that it's going to be over. Verse 48, that very day, God spoke to Moses, ascend these heights of Abarim to Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab facing Jericho, right, and the land of Canaan, which I'm giving the Israelites as they're holding. You shall die on the mountain that you are about to ascend and shall be gathered to your kin as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his kin. For you broke faith with me among the Israelite people at the waters of Meribat Kadesh in the wilderness of Tzin by failing to uphold my sanctity among the Israelite people. You may view the land from a distance, but you shall not enter it, the land that I'm giving to the Israelite people. So this very sad moment that, um, unfortunately, I think uh, at Pardes, somebody turned off their mic and didn't turn it back on. as I sometimes do. Um, and Rabbi David Levenkrus gave a podcast, gave a shiur, gave a lesson, and it's only three and a half minutes of it because it just disappears after that. But he says, he quotes this, those verses that we just read and then turns to the I've been to the mountaintop speech and says, like anybody, the words of Dr. King, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. This idea that King understood so well that it's not about the leader. It's about the mission. It's not about the leader. It's about the people. It's about all people. When it's a true mission, right, a true mission of good and justice and truth and equity, then it's about all people. Uh, and King, King is exactly quoting Deuteronomy when he says, I've been to the top of the mountain and I've looked over. We take that for granted as the words of King. King is quoting Moshe. King knows that just like Moshe, it's not about him. That's why we don't know where Moshe is buried. We don't have Moshe anywhere in the Haggadah. The whole story of the Exodus, Moshe's not, not in the Haggadah. Why? Because it's not about the leader. It's about we as a people 
we'll get there. I may not go with you. I may not be able to be there with you, um, which is um, for all true uh, leadership, not only an awareness, but a willingness to sacrifice whatever it will take, including their own particular existence for the existence and betterment of this people and humanity. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.